Have you ever dug deep into the drama you faced as a kid and seen how it creates where you basically is? How you fight when you fuck and you leave? How you love or you hate? All of what you perceive is all seen through the filter of fear. Shame, guilt, and despair. Palpable pain is felt in the air. It's still there from the belt in the chair. Trying squelch to move forward to maybe build and repair. It's too hard when two marbles are frozen in time. With the mind trapped in a self-loathing design. I try to shove it down. Leave it all closed up inside. See if you love me now. I can sell souls to the blind. Lost in the spiral of the mind like an addict can be. Mesmerized in the rhythm of a tragic dance. I guess I never had a chance. Now I'm looking back, standing at the bottom of an avalanche. We never know what tomorrow brings. Try to beat the death and when song sinks. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Silver Lake. And Aloe was created by our friend Bob. Forrest and his friends, Evan Jarrett and another Bob. And they wanted to create a rehab that made addicts feel like they were being treated with compassion and connection and not being controlled. And I have a bunch of friends who went there and they said that was the case. They said that in terms of being at a rehab, they never had an experience that compared to being at Aloe. And why is that? It's because they have staff with decades and decades of experience dealing with addiction as well as co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. They have amenities that are crazy, horseback riding, sound bath meditation, sweat lodge. They don't have a 12-step-based practice, but they take you to meetings. It seems like an amazing place to go. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I highly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our great friend at Brainwashed Coffee Company. We all know how important coffee is to the recovering community. Their coffee is delicious. They have decaf. They have regular. They have full body coffee. They have dark chocolate nodes, smoky nodes. I love coffee, and I love Brainwashed Coffee Company, not only because the coffee is so delicious, but because they give 50% of all their profits to addicts in recovery to support addiction recovery. It is an amazing company. They are available at Brainwashed Coffee company.com that's brainwashedcoffeeco.com and they will give you 20% off with the code dopey20 and they will honor that code on repeated orders so support this company that supports addicts in recovery get your coffee from brainwashedcoffeeco.com this episode of dopey is also brought to you by our friends at evolution accounting and consulting they are a full service accounting firm that can help with your taxes bookkeeping, payroll, and almost any other business need you have. Thanks to technology, they work with people from all over the country and pride themselves on building exceptionally strong relationships with their clients. They say that their passion allows you to pursue yours because they understand the stress caused by worrying about taxes and accounting issues. When you allow them to take this off your plate, you'll be freed up to focus on what you love to do. Perhaps more important than anything else, the firm is run by a fucking crackhead. Fortunately, he's been in recovery for years now and knows the struggle as well as the success. Use promo code DOPEY when you connect with them at www.evolution.com. 
dashaccounting.com to receive special discounts. Again, that's www.evolution-accounting.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by the good people at Soberlink. Soberlink is an amazing device used to test your alcohol content. Its remote recovery technology empowers people in the fight against alcohol addiction. Studies show that monitoring and early recovery can help to improve outcomes. With Soberlink, you can stay connected remotely to family and friends, treatment professionals, recovery coaches, etc. The technology is accurate and reliable to help rebuild trust that may have been lost. There is no need to stress about having to convince someone that you are still sober. You blow into it, the alcohol content comes up, the information is transmitted to the people that you are accountable to. It is trusted by over 500 treatment centers. They have over 150,000 clients, and 40 million-plus alcohol monitoring tests have been received. If you use the code DOPEY, you save 50 bucks on the device. If you want a Soberlink device, save 50 bucks. Go to Soberlink.com and use the code DOPEY. This episode of DOPEY is also brought to you by Recovery in the Middle Ages. It is a podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. Listen as they discuss current topics of interest to the recovery community, including... 12-step, alt-recovery, the newest medical research, and talk about their daily struggle to maintain their recovery and anonymity in the world of soccer moms and PTA meetings, if the neighbors only knew. On today's episode, they discuss the pinking of alcohol marketing and women's issues with Dopey Nation's own Aaron Coffin Moore. Find recovery in the Middle Ages on all podcasting platforms, and of course, at middleagesrecovery.com. That's middleagesrecovery.com. Check it out. Most importantly, this episode of Dopey is brought to you by you guys, my friends in the Dopey Nation through Dopey Patreon. Just to keep this as simple as possible, making Dopey is my favorite thing besides my family. I want it to be full-time. If you guys can help me, Make it full-time, please do. If, you, if Dopey helps you, throw a few bucks towards Dopey Patreon. There's tons of content there. This week is actually Freeway Ricky Ross, uh, international outlaw, drug dealer, drug smuggler, author, weed impresario, and a whole lot more at Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Also, we have tons of gear. New shit is coming out. Check for it at dopeypodcast.com. I also still have Dopey Podcast snapbacks, and I'm out of beanies, but we have new stickers. If you want any of the new fire stickers, just hit me up on Venmo, and I'm happy to ship them out. Dopey patrons have been receiving their free stickers at the highest Dopey Patreon level, so check that out. Again, www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast, storesdopeypodcast.com. Enough with the ads. Here is the show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave and I'm joined by my friend, the great Ray Brown. Welcome back. Hi, Dave. Nice to be back. Was I gone? Yeah, I, I missed a week. Did you? I don't think so. No, yeah. you were here last week. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Last week you admitted all, to sixty nine in the cop. It's all a blur. It's amazing. How, Your do, life is a blur because you're so busy. My life is a blur because I have nothing to do. Oh man! Imagine a medium between being so busy and having nothing to do. Imagine a life with just a few things to do. Yeah. Something well, to a, do. I have a few things to do. Like what? What do you have to do? I have to write that fourth step for an hour every day. That takes an hour. And I have to feed the cat. I have to masturbate to wrestling videos. Masturbate, yes. I've been watching golf videos now. Why? I'm thinking of taking up golf. No, you're not. Are you really? <laughs> and then I looked at it. It's really expensive. Why are you thinking about taking up golf? I, I was just watching this golf video of these two guys that go around the country playing golf as cheaply as they possibly can like the whole that's the whole theme of their show and i was like that looks really fun i want to get out there and like and hit some golf balls and learn how to do that and then i looked it up it's like 50 bucks 100 bucks just to play we should set up a youtube show about two suckers who can't play golf doing that because i bet you those guys are good right they're okay yeah they're pretty good we would suck badly. Did, did you play golf when you were a kid? No, but I played golf at the end of the summer with some guys around here. And I, oh, was, right. I was so, they said I was good, but I wasn't good. I wasn't good. Could you good. do it at all? Yeah. I, I mean, you hit the ball and, and then you follow the ball and then you hit the ball again and you kind of talk shit with the guys. They drank and I talk shit and, you know. If it was nine holes, it would have been amazing. Eighteen holes, it was just fucking never ending. Oh, I had to get out of there. Yeah. It's still too much time. And I never hung out with those I never hung spent real time with those guys. So it's like nine holes in, my jokes are still funny. And then the sun starts going down. And then it's dark and I'm like, just get me the fuck out of here. You know, it was it was it was ridiculous. But yeah. I think that could be something we could do, some dopey uh yeah, let's golfing. Do it. So I've got news for you. What? Uh I'm going back on keto. Today's day one. Back on keto. Oh. Time, time to, time to lose these unsightly pounds. I, I think I know what the show note is now. No, that isn't the to... show note. The oh, show no? note. First of all, last night I got into an argument with Linda, and I decided I wouldn't hang out after I put the baby to bed. And I went and I read, and I said I'm not going to have dessert, right? Um, yeah. Which I have every night. And I said I'm not going to have dessert. I'm going to go just go to bed. And when I woke up, I was going to I was like, I'm going to look in the mirror and I'm going to look skinny because I didn't have dessert last night. <laughs> One time. <laughs> and I guess I guess I haven't looked in the mirror for a while because I was really fat and I didn't I, I my belly is all out there. And it's just Wait, like you were naked. I was I was naked as the day I was born. Right. And I I didn't look as as I wanted to look. So fuck it. I'm back on keto. I'm back in Good. it. Finally. Yes, back. But the show note that says I'm not even going to say what the show note is. But okay. I'm doing I'm doing the shipping for Katz's, and yeah. um, and I guess an order didn't get shipped on time, and this woman calls up super angry, and I'm like, uh, I'm sorry, like we're getting it to you as fast as we can. We can't control UPS. And she goes, I'm tired of you entitled motherfuckers. Why don't oh. you put your fat ass in a car and drive me the fucking shit to New Jersey? And I said, Whoa. my word, madam. I said, my, my word. 
you know, she's, she said, she said, I'm a nurse and my husband's a butcher and we work our asses off and we deserve our food on time. So get your fat ass into a car and drive it all the way to Jersey. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, and you're like, I'm in Long Island. <laughs> I was like, how dare you? No, I got, I swear to God, it shook me to the core. I got. She said, "Motherfucker." No, no, I'm just, I'm, I'm exaggerating. No. But she did say to put my fat ass in a car. I said, "I'm not that fat, lady." <laughs> Wait, how late is her order? I think it was a day. I think it was her husband's birthday, and she was, oh. she was very, 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 yeah. very. And you, and you were like, "Does she have cameras inside my house? Can she see me?" <laughs> did Did she see me this morning looking in the yeah. mirror? How does she yeah. know? <laughs> I know, but. uh but so that, but I swear I got off the phone with her and I was shook, you know, like imagine that, like imagine you call customer service and you curse them out at that kind of a level. Yeah. It's, no, that's, I, I can't imagine having that job. So what it's time for is a new regime of diet and exercise. I also realized I haven't been to the doctor in years. 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 I've been to the. Not only the doctor, I've been to the hospital 11 times during COVID. Wow. Well, you've had a lot of stuff done. Not to mention, Ray just shaved his head. He looks beautiful, like a Buddhist monk. And saved, saved a barber of money. Namaste. I, like, I thought I was going to get COVID in the bar. I, I looked at the barber. I'm like, there's people in there with him all day. He probably has COVID. Yeah. Did you hear what I said so. to you, though, Ray? You said namaste? My, to my Buddhist monk friend. That means yes. the spirit in me recognizes the spirit in you. That's what namaste means? Namaste, Mr. Brown. I never knew that. On my The first time I was on Dopey, you asked me if I was Buddhist, and I said, yes, I'm Buddhist. <laughs> well, I think Buddhism could go a long way these days. I think that's not a bad path. How is okay. the fourth step going? Oh, I, I'm just doing it. I you know, I'm just writing all these little things. I'm going to talk to him today and go like, how long do I have to do this? Like, he's writing like tiny things from years ago, you know. The thing I don't understand, and I know I've asked you this off the show, and I don't know if I asked you this on the show, but if you use it in practice, doesn't that affect the level of the resentment? I don't understand the question. Okay, if he has you writing down the list, over and over and over oh, again. Oh, it's like dredging these things up. No, I don't mean that. I mean, like, in September, you were writing down your resentments, people that you resented. Yeah. Like, yeah. are they the same people that make the actual list? That was the list. That was part of the list, yeah. So the practice is part of the thing? Yeah, well, sort of, yeah. I'm, I'm not going to repeat them. I'm not going to write them that's, down again. That's my point. My point is... You had them as your first people on the list. And then he said, yeah. no, it's practice. Now it's the real thing. And you'd think that the first people you'd think of would be the primary people that you those resent. Were, yeah, those were the big ones. Um, but And it also, like, if something happens today, it doesn't go on the list. It goes on my 10th step. So what so happens like, to the big ones? Do the big ones make the real list if you use them in the practice? I don't know. He told me to just throw those out, that those were just practice, but I saved them all. <laughs> Fascinating. I don't know. I have no idea how this works. He said it, it, it's all going to be removed, and I guess that means the practice stuff and the new stuff. I met with my sponsor on the phone a few times this week, and we had planned to meet up, but then like, I didn't want to go to a restaurant with him because we're totally socially distancing, so I, 
I didn't do it, and now he's going to go to fucking... He's on vacation, so when he gets back, uh, I'm going to beef up my fourth step so I can get on to my fifth step again so that I can give... I can, my sponsee is dying to do his fourth step, and I feel like I can't... I need to redo mine before I let him do his. Well, you know, I, I watch all these YouTube videos, and um, I... I, I just realized, oh, this was happening last week. It's like some party or they're playing golf and nobody's wearing a mask. I mean, here in New York, we have 100% of people outside, inside wearing masks and nobody's eating in restaurants. But then in the rest of the country, it seems like nothing has changed. Like, it's just weird. Like, I don't know. Like, it's, when people go on vacation, they don't wear a mask. I just assumed everybody was wearing a mask, but they're not. I'm wearing a mask. That's all I know. That's you just need to worry about you and what's happening around you. Let these let these people spread COVID. Let let them have Super Bowl COVID spreader parties all they want. <laughs> I think they did that because you see, it was like Thanksgiving, Christmas, and then it'll be Super Bowl. Um, but I, I read a thing that said the only thing that makes people in like rural small town America take it seriously is when their town gets like. Uh, you know, everybody in the town gets it and a bunch of people die. Then they're all like, oh, shit, this is real. No, but it has to be like their town or a town nearby. A bunch of people that I work with have gotten it. it it's supposed to be on the way out. I'm all of a sudden uh, it's, I'm allowed to get a vaccine. And um, I'm nervous about getting vaccinated, to be honest with you, because I hear about people getting sick from the vaccine. They get a little bit sick. But New York State is fucked up with the vaccine. Like. Right. It's messed up. West Virginia has 93% of the population vaccinated. That's amazing. And, and New York has, we've run out. Well, maybe we can get some West Virginian vaccine. I'll <laughs> tell you, though, I've been thinking that if I get the vaccine, right? Yeah. And it gets me sick, I get a day right. off. Oh shit! I can watch the Lord of the Rings. I could watch the old <laughs> Temptations miniseries. Do you ever watch the Temptations miniseries on VH1? That reminds me, I was going to paint an apartment in Queens, and it was like a big job, and I had to like repair the ceiling, which I hate doing, just a lot of stuff. And I'm on the train, and I'm like, I hope this train crashes, and I get hurt, seriously hurt, so I don't have to do this job. Yeah, that's perfect. That's a perfect, that's exactly this thing. I want to get sick, and I want to actually like claim a sick day in the bed, you know, no keto that day, fucking ice cream and Lord of the Rings and whatever. You um, love sick days. Oh, I, I love sick days. You know what else I love, Ray? What? Betterhelp.com. Oh. If if you have if you have a problem, did you know that betterhelp.com is an amazing place to help you get the professional guidance you need? Like, didn't you use betterhelp.com? I used it and I was really nervous and I, I was very happy with it. It worked really well. Well, it's not self-help. It's professional counseling. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can send a message to your counselor at any time. If you don't like your counselor, you can choose another one. They help you with depression, stress. If you find yourself showering with your clothes on, they can help you with that. <laughs> if you're eating pubes off the toilet bowl, they can even work with that. They help. They with can't help. They can't help with that. No, they can help with relationships, sleeping, trauma, self-esteem. Everything you share is confidential. It is affordable, convenient, professional. Uh, 
And if you're a dopey listener who wants help through BetterHelp, it's betterhelp.com slash dopeypodcast. Save 10%. That's a big deal. 10% off. Over 1 million people have taken charge of their mental health with BetterHelp. That's betterhelp.com. Ray loves help. it. Help. No, better help, <laughs> not help. Um, so... I had the pleasure of talking with old-time friend of the show, the rapper from Boston, the actor and rapper. His name is Slane. Uh, it was pretty good, right, Ray? Yeah, it was really good. You want? I just listened to it. Well, now the audience is going to get to listen to it. All right. <laughs> so, uh, very exciting. We had we had this artist. His name is Slane. He was on the show a bunch of months back. Today. He dropped his new record, The Things We Can't Forgive, and it's a dopey exclusive because it's going to come out today. Now, that's pretty good promotion. We don't usually get so current. So welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be here, man. I actually, we premiered the, the first single I dropped off of this a few months back on this show. Revolver, of course. Revolver. So, you know, yeah. the slain, dopey fucking, whatever you want to call that, the, the, the matched energy, I'm very honored that... You participate with us like this. I the connection. It. It's the connection. It's synergy. We call it synergistic addict shit. <laughs> so hey what's man, going I'm, on? A, I'm a big I'm a big believer in the universe. That's like archetypes running joke with me. Like anytime something gets delayed or there's an inconvenience or an obstacle, I'm always like, that's the universe, man. It doesn't want us to put the record out next week. We're supposed to put the record out in February. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's always like the universe, the universe. And however it goes is, is how it goes, right? And I found the things we can't forgive. Like I started listening to it last week and I was like, this is kind of like a recovery record. And you were like, yeah. So is it kind of a recovery record? Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't say, you know, in the sense that all my records – before I got sober, to some extent, were about addiction and drugs and alcohol and kind of, you know, street stuff. And, and some of it glorified it, some of it celebrated it, some of it was about pain and loss. <clears throat> and uh, this prob this record is not about drugs. It's not about drugs and alcohol. It's not about any of that. Really, it's about love and heartbreak and trauma and betrayal and narcissism and ultimately forgiveness and recovery. And what I've learned, I always thought it's like funny what they say. And when you're in a 12 step meeting and they say, please keep your share to things pertaining alcohol or, <clears throat> or to drugs or whatever. Right. And it's like, well, addiction isn't about that. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the drugs and alcohol are just the symptom. And the real addiction is about what this album is about. So this album, ultimately, like peeling everything back, this is really the core of my addiction is like, you know, love and attachment and uh, and childhood trauma and, you know, all those things that we can't forgive. You know what I'm saying? It's the things we can't forgive. And to me, that's that's what recovery is, is kind of peeling those back. Like this is where I got to in my recovery where it's like, you know, you hit a, I, I hit a bottom in recovery where I was just like really in a bad place, man. And this is the album I wrote to get through it. And, um, you know, it didn't have anything to do with drugs and alcohol. It had to do with all the things that led me to drugs and alcohol. 
And, um, and that this was the obstacle I had to overcome. So really it was like a pathway in my recovery. As much as that work I did in the steps and all that, what I found is, um, um, you know, music became part of my recovery. In the beginning, it was really not. In the beginning, it was an obstacle in my recovery because it was so tied to my, to my creative process was drinking and getting high. And, you know, but now... I work through these things in my life through my lyrics and through my music. This is almost like, you know, four-step inventory stuff and you know what I'm saying? Well, that's like the best art comes from real life, but you said a lot of stuff there. First thing I want to know is what is it to have a bottom in your recovery? What does that look like? Man, it just, for me, it looks like, um, you know, I was just leveled. I couldn't get out of bed in the morning. I lost 20 pounds in like three weeks. I was heartbroken uh, going through the worst withdrawal. You know, I thought withdrawal from benzos and I thought benzo withdrawal was bad until I suffered this withdrawal. I found like the worst withdrawal is from a person, you know, that that you're in love with. And and, um, specifically when that person, you know, when this woman is, you know, meant so much to me and we went through all this stuff together and we had similar trauma and all that stuff and it's like we connected on that and then when the when the break happened suddenly and unexpectedly it was like I don't even know how to describe it it was just like a withdrawal I couldn't eat I couldn't get out of bed I couldn't and I just you know the the, the work and the program wasn't touching it man it wasn't touching it I was so low and so broken that I, you know, I, I did like get active, but I had to go out and do a ton of community service. Like just going to meetings and stuff just wasn't, it was, I would, I would have drank and got high. You know what I'm saying? Like I had to get super active. I turned everything I did into a charity event. I was like going down methadone mile with jackets and sandwiches and you know what I'm saying? I just had to get really active in service. So would you call it, would you call it like crazy codependency, like where the relationship is what kept you, what propped you up, your, your, your connection and the relationship propped you up. And then when it was over, you were like, holy shit, I'm nothing now. Was it that kind of thing? I I don't think it's, it's necessarily that because I got sober before I met her, but, but uh, I was like 18 months or two years sober or, or maybe a little more when I met her. And, uh, so it wasn't that. It w- I think, you know, that's always, it's like advanced AA, right? Like uh, SLA and like CODA sure. and like even GA or whatever. It's just like, you know, addiction's a tricky thing, man. Like like I said, it's, you know, the, the drugs and alcohol are just a symptom. So once you nip that in the bud, then it can change shapes and it can start shifting forms, right? And like it can get you whether, whether your thing is shopping or gambling or sex and love and relationships and like he's pro. I mean, there's or all of it or all of it. Right. Like, like we, we changed the channel with that shit. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm going to watch porn. I'm going to eat cookies. I'm going to fucking go (laughs) shopping, whatever it is. Right. I mean, it's like, it's amazing. Like the whole shape shifting of addiction, cunning, 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 baffling, powerful—all that shit. You know, cunniling. yeah, right. It's cunning. <laughs> exactly. So when you when you addressed it with service, 
Like, how did that pop up? Was that your sponsor? Was that like you knew that service worked? Like, how did you figure that out? I knew that's what worked. So one thing that I, you know, I'm coming up on, I have seven years sober on March 3rd. Awesome. And, and what I attribute that to, because I'm a hope to die drunk man and a, and a drug addict. And, and it, it took me 15 years to get 30 days. Like, but what I attribute my sobriety to is that I work a really rigorous program and I believe in, in the things that I was taught. And I believe in these tools. And though I don't maintain them every minute of every day like to their full capacity sometimes i slip off and sometimes i can get off the beam but whenever i'm struggling i know to go back to that stuff you know like i know that you know intensive it's a disease of self-centeredness man you know what i'm saying that's the problem it's that self-centered fear so it's those lies that i that my brain tells me like you're gonna lose everything you have you're never gonna get what you want and as you are right now, it's not good enough. Right. You know what I'm saying? So when something hits me, it, it, it could be anything. Anything that hits me with all three of those things at the same time, where it really, like, shakes me up, really cracks me in the fucking head, that's when I'm in trouble. And when I feel that I'm in trouble like that, then my only solution for that is that I need to get active in service work, man. I need to go out and help somebody and expect nothing in return. And I need to do it constantly in order to start feeling all right again. One, it gives me perspective. You know what I mean? It feels good. So it's like it's a good thing for your self-esteem to help somebody else and expect nothing in return. It also gives me perspective to see, like, where I could be, where I used to be, and be grateful for what I have. You know what I mean? And I think that's part of the reason why it really works. You know what I mean? Is because we're able to gain some clarity and perspective when we, cause we have a disease of perception. So it's like, when I get rattled like that, I can't see what's real and what's not. Cause to me, I'm just totally lost in that feeling of doom and gloom. Right. And that's what the disease is. That's the illness. It's not about drugs and alcohol. My understanding of it anyways, I have alcoholism and addiction in sobriety. And that's how it can affect me. But now I have, I can sense it and I can feel it coming on. And I, and I know, all right, I got to do something about this right now. Right. I, and I love that. I mean, I think again, it seems like you're, you're very well versed in addiction slain. It seems like, you know, you, you have this thing down a little bit, but like the thing that I love about it too, is like, you know, and I know when things get bad, if you do something else, it just it stops that thing and you don't know what good thing will come from the other thing. You know what I mean? Like I see it as total crop rotation. If you focus too much on one thing, it's like going to burn out the soil. It's going to burn out your brain. It's going to burn out your, your, your heart. So you switch it to something else. And if you can do it through service, then somebody else is going to benefit and you're going to benefit. The thing that I, I love about it, though, is like where it is a disease of self-centeredness and self-seeking and all that stuff. And yet we do something for someone else, knowing that we're going to get we're going to get something out of it. Like it's like deep in the, the, the sneaky recesses of it. Right. It's like and whatever. You know what I mean? Like we should. Good. It works. That's the most important part is that it works. Nothing else means anything if it didn't work. Right. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I guess, you know, th there is a selfish element to it, too, if you're doing that stuff to get well and to stay well. But, hey, man, look, 
I'm just, you know, I know about addiction because I've lived with it my whole life and I failed that. I failed at staying sober many, many times over and over and over and over again. And I never want to go back to that. So I know like there are these things that work and I just get a little bit better every day. Like I'm not a fucking saint. I'm not perfect at it. I just like, you know, I've done enough not to pick up and drink and get high. And I try to progress. Like, you know, I shouldn't say I try to progress. I'm forced to progress at this at certain points, at certain junctures of my sobriety, something smacks me in the face and I can either go and drink and get high or I can progress. Well, again, though, the progression, it it makes the world better. It makes you better. But the real thing is we get to be happy. We get to have fun. Fun is a great tool in getting out of your head. Like whatever it's like, it's great. Cause everybody succeeds. The only way you fail is if, is if you lock yourself away from the world and you don't get to help the world, the world doesn't get to help you and you stay sick and, and the world doesn't benefit from your, your heart. You know what I mean? Um, I want to know about the transition, like back in the day from when you're using and you're doing hip hop and you're doing hip hop about running wild and, you know, kind of the, you know, the using, the drinking, the, the, the crazy shit. And when you get clean and you make a record, like what was that transition like? Shit, man. I mean, <clears throat> archetype is here at the studio. He can probably tell you that stuff as well as anybody, but it was fucking terrifying, man. It was terrifying. I would come into the studio. I thought, you know, part of my surrender was that I had to give up my career and my creative process. That was what I thought that I had to give up in the beginning. That's what I surrendered because I wanted to be a, a good dad to my son. And, and for the first time, I was willing to give up music to do it. But then as I tried to come back in, because it was also how I make my living, and it's also something I love to do. So, it, you know, I, it was not something I really wanted to let go of. It's just so so much a part of who I am. <clears throat> but as I came in, that's when that's when I really started to gain some understanding about wow this disease that I have is not, has nothing to do with that drugs and alcohol, it's that fucking self-loathing voice in my head, you know? Because I'll be in the studio, I'll write a verse, I put the headphones on, and archetype cues the beat up, plays it, I start rapping, bring it back. It sucks. I listen to it. It sucks. Let me do it again. 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 44 times, 50 times. Finally, I throw the headsets. I have to leave the studio because I need a drink or a drug in order to be all right. You know, and that was what it was like in the beginning of recording. And it was like that for a long time. And I was like fucking two years in like, fuck, I'm never going to be good at this again. Like, I suck. You know, and it wasn't true. It was just that voice in my head that told me I suck, man. Wow. And I had to, like, it, t- it took a long time to overcome that, you know, until I finally had a breakthrough. But I mean, this guy, <clears throat> Archetype, who produced this, this record, he produced Slain His Dad, he produced One Day, you know, the bulk of all those records. And I mean, he walked through that stuff with me he was patient like in a way that i don't think i would have been patient with somebody else i would have gone, what the fuck is wrong with this guy you know so where <laughs> and, was uh, the breakthrough like would you remember the breakthrough yeah i think the breakthrough you know and i look we put put out several records so it was but i still couldn't regain to the form we put out slain is dead put out to thine own self be true by lakoka 
put out the anti-hero record with terminology. I did all those records in sobriety, but they were like trudging slowly uphill. And it wasn't until uh, one day really started gaining steam about six months before we put it out. And I just had a big creative burst. A big creative burst, and I felt like, wow, I'm doing this at a higher level than I've ever done it at. You know, and and it was, you know, it was a long haul where it was like I had to use the same solution I used to get sober, just ask the universe to help me write what I'm supposed to write today, and then I have to accept what I'm writing that day. Totally. And, and I mean, but over time and over doing that over time, like I started to get more, more back into, you know. That perfectionism is such a fucking defect for me, man. Like, nothing is ever good enough. I set the bar so high for myself, and when I come up just short, then I destroy myself. I beat myself with the bat. Like, it's not good enough. See, you my, know? my perfectionism is only, as if it's not okay, right, then I can't use it. But if it's okay, then I can use it. I just can't have anything not be okay. Nothing, for me, that's perfect enough. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's my, my like, I'm... I'm so not a perfectionist, but I don't think I could put out a show every week if I was a perfectionist. I'm just like, was it okay? If it's okay, I'll put it out. You know what I'm saying? Like, but per, I think what you're describing reminds me of, uh, you know, early sobriety. Like, how could early producing and writing and rapping in sobriety be easy? Because you're, it's like new skin. It's uncomfortable. Um, and the best hip-hop comes from the truth. It comes from being okay with the story you're telling, right? So, yeah. so, so, like, it's like you got comfortable with your story and it burst out of you, right? Well, that was that was part of it too. Is um, you know, I think with hip hop, man, I mean, every every rapper, not just me, we create an alter ego, right? Every rapper got, you know, it's like slain or you know, Red Man or Method Man or whatever. We all have these these alter egos and. You know, for better or worse, we become like superheroes or supervillains. And that's what the genre is. It's like we want to be this, you know, you know, and, and that's a difficult thing to live up to over time, too. But I think in sobriety and also with age too, the two of those things, it's like you peel back these layers. And that's what this new record is, man. This is really just George. You know what I'm saying? It's like I don't really care about like fucking winning any awards or selling a million records or doing anything or getting like, you know, any of the property prestige and power that can come with this stuff. I, I, I've abandoned that. I've let go of that. And, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to be like some superhuman, like street villain or anything like that, man. I'm just, you know, really trying to cut to the honesty and I'm writing as if nobody's ever going to listen to it. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a personal journal entry and I just, just stripping away all the bullshit and just get into the truth of, of, you know, and I think that takes time to get to being comfortable like that. And, um, and I, I can get, I'll tell you, I get, I get there. And then when it's time to put the album out, then, and then I'm hard, I'm terrified. I'm like, Oh my God, like, what am I putting out right now? Like, you know, it's, it feels so personal to put it out to the world. Well, you described it as a as a hip hop for a f fifth step, basically, right? It's like it's a poetic license of a fourth step into a fifth step. Um, it's called the things we can't forgive. So, what are some things like that you can't forgive? Is that is that a thing? 
Like, are there, because like, if, if we want people to forgive us, right, and we want to be able to be of maximum love and compassion, what are the things we can't forgive? Well, first of all, when I when I start to record an album, I don't I, I didn't have the title first. I didn't have like a concept for what it was going to be. I was just making songs in real time how what I was going through at the moment. You know, you got like the anger on uh, on Revolver, you know, the anger and the jealousy and the rage and all these the spiraling mind of these things that I'm creating that actually didn't happen, but that I think they might have happened and I'm angry about them, you know, so it's like. And what, where do those things come from? Well, that comes from things that I did in the past. You know what I'm saying? The things that I can't forgive myself for. Right. So this is like the things I really resent myself for, the things I hate most in myself, I project into other people and onto the world. So, you know, the, the, when I look at the body of work, when I'm done with it, I start to ask myself, oh, as I'm getting closer to finishing it, I start to think, like, what is this about? Where am I at? You know, I can then get some perspective and clarity on what the record is about, where I'm at in my life. That's where the healing comes in. And that's why the last song, um, Legend of the Fall, is really like the first verse is a resentment to myself, you know, because that's what all the anger I have about the relationship and all that. Like, it's really about me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm angry at myself for my active addiction, the things I did in active addiction, for the losses I suffered, for the things that were done to me. I'm still upset about that. And then, you know, learning to, like, the things that we can't forgive are the things that continue continue to make us sick because they're the only things we can ever create, recreate in our lives if we're sick with them. Everything, we create our own, our own life, our own world. And the only thing we're capable of creating are these things that exist inside of us. So if we're weighed down with all these things that we can't forgive, then it's, we're doomed to suffer through them for our entire lives. And that's kind of the concept of the album. I think it's brilliant. It's like a radical hip-hop fifth step. Uh, when you did your actual fifth step, did you become, like, what changed? Like, did you feel these resentments lifted? Like, did Because, like, obviously shit resettled down this year. And did you feel a similar feeling in your actual fifth step with then with recording and writing this record? Yeah. When I first did my first fifth step, I got no relief from it. I was flattened. I couldn't believe, like, I, you know, I looked at things that I didn't like about myself and I couldn't believe it, right? So, you know, I started seeing all these character defects and all that. I really, even going through all 12 steps, I didn't get really a great sense of connection and relief until I started working with other alcoholics and addicts. And then the connection came where it's like, Oh, me too. You know what I'm saying? Like when I, when other people would run their darkest shit by me and I could say me too, you know what I'm saying? And I could see that in them, like this guy's not a bad guy. He's just, he's a sick guy. And he's, you know, he had some tough stuff and he's dealing with it and he's trying his best and he's a good guy. And then I could say that about myself too, after a while. Yeah, me too. Right. And, and the process of forgiving yourself, which is a fucking long process sometimes, man, but hell no, those resentments, I fucking, I have, have had resentments that I continuously write for years week after week after week the same resentment i've i let go of it and then it comes back and i let go of it and it comes back so it's a process for me man i don't just magically have some of those resentments disappear but as long as i keep working on them then then i continue to stay sober and get better you know 
Totally. I mean, I, I, I'm redoing my fourth step now and I'm fine. I have my first sponsee that I'm working with now and I'm finding like ways to offer him compassion that I didn't see for myself. And like, that's amazing. Like when you talk about working with others and how it works on yourself, you know what I mean? Like, and how that solidifies your own process. Um, I have a friend who, who does the show with me all the time. He's doing a fourth step since fucking July. His sponsor had him write out his resentments as practice shit since July. Every week he's yeah. writing shit for this. And, um, and I went to a meeting and a dude at the meeting was talking about how he did his fifth step. And afterwards he felt the resentments come back like five o'clock shadow, you know, after he did it like the next day or whatever. Whereas my other friend is like, it's an electrolysis and he's never going to face it again. Like, do you think it's ever done or do you think stuff has to come back up? I think, you know, what, I, what I've learned, this is what I've actually learned about myself, is the resentments, so the resentments that I, that I have really the deepest usually stem from unaddressed childhood shit. So it's like, I get so angry at this person because of this, and, and I see these are, these are recurring as resentment I have, you know, it could be against older men, it could be against women or whatever, and I need to go back to the root cause of that shit. You know what I'm saying? Because that's where the resentment is. And that's the thing that I need to come to terms with and come to forgiveness with, because that's the thing that's constantly recreating itself in my life is that thing that I can't forgive in my childhood continues to haunt me throughout the rest of my life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the pattern. It's like, that's the pattern. Like, exactly. The other funny thing to me is like, I feel resentments all the time. Like I'm ultimately like I'm run by resentments and I'm run by like the comedy of resentments and it's hard for me to give it up sometimes like because it's so natural and I don't like I get scared that I won't be myself if I give up a resentment too quickly you know what I mean like I attack like I like I, my mother-in-law comes over and she takes cookies from us like she isn't the mother-in-law supposed to bring cookies and our my mother-in-law comes and she takes cookies and it's not a deep resentment but it's it's seated in some weird entitlement shit and I don't want to give it up because I think it's like it's like the I don't know like uh, it's it's an extra in my life that I enjoy, but that's the kind of shit that can be all cunning. And, and then all of a sudden it's an actual resentment, right? It's, it shape shifts. Like you were talking about those kinds of things. Yeah. Well, especially with character defects, man, like we really enjoy some of those character defects. You know what I'm saying? Like we don't want to give them up, especially it's like, I already gave up drinking and drugs. Like, fuck, leave me alone. I like to gamble. Or what, you know what I'm saying? Like, we have these we have these things that we uh, that we like to hold on to. It's a, it's that way with perfectionism for me, man. Because as corrosive as it is for me, I'm scared to let go of it sometimes because I think it's what what makes me good. You know what I'm saying? But that I'm so critical of myself, I think it makes me good. And if I if I wasn't that critical of myself, maybe I wouldn't be as good at what I do. And I'm afraid to let go of it. You know what I mean? So. It's always just trying to find the balance, bro. We never get perfect with nothing, man, but at least we're not killing ourselves, you know? Yes, I do know what you mean. And who is this this right hook character who's bringing all this singing and music to the tracks? Uh, right hook? I've been working with him for a long time, and I started working with him when he was 17. And um, he's also sober. I think he's got like 15, 16 months now. <clears throat> and he's fought hard for it. You know, he's had 
time and lost it and struggled with it. And, you know, he's, he's one of us and, uh, he's a really talented guy. And, um, we were going through a similar thing at the same time. That's why he's on this record a lot. We were both going through a heartbreak and, uh, we collaborated on some of these songs, but he's, he's pretty much on all my albums. And like, as uh, I, I really like, I mean, I like the record a lot. My favorite two right now, I listened to it like three times or something. My favorite two are, are the chasing ghosts and the things we can't forgive. And he, and I like the first one. What's the first one called? I like the first Just one. When the war ends. Yeah. When the war ends. I'm going to open this, re- the, the show with when the war ends, if that's okay. I'm going to play a minute yeah, from no, it because I yeah. love it. Did you see the video yet? We just dropped the video about 10, uh, you know, right before we started this podcast. No, I'll see it afterwards, though. When the war yeah. ends. Uh, that's what I'm going to start this one with. And um, what I, you know, the more as, as the world gets older and as I think as hip hop artists get older, you see more and more hip hop artists find recovery. Right. And um, does recovery like the, the same way the streets or partying or drugs or addiction are such a great part of prime hip hop. Do you think recovery can become that in hip hop or do you think that's just a stretch? I think that hip hop is getting older as a genre. And I think, you know, me and archetype talk about it all the time. It's like, you know, there's an older fan base in hip hop. Now, If, if I was still making tracks, like, you know, talking about the same stuff I was talking about when I was 26, I'd look like a, a like a fucking goof. You know what I'm saying? Like you need to grow, and you need you you're gonna get better. There's nothing in your life that you're gonna do over time that you don't get better at if you really, you know, if you're true to a craft and you you know you're focused on it and you work hard at it, you're gonna get better. So an artist should, by that by that uh, deduction, get better over time. But I think where people lose it is they're trying to stay relevant and to who, yeah, and trying to stay relevant to a younger crowd or, or who people think they should be or who they used to be or what defined them when they were a younger artist. So I think anything that's honest to where you're at is always relevant because somebody else is going through that too. And I try to keep that in mind now. Like I don't have to be 27 year old slain. Well, you know what I'm saying? And it wouldn't be good. It would be a goof. I think that's really interesting because you assume hip hop is a young man's music because it started when we were all young. You know, I mean, hip hop started, I was like, I don't know, three years old, seven, eight, five years old. And, and we got to grow up with hip hop. But that means those guys get to grow up, too. And if they do get to grow up, hip hop gets to mature and you get pure music and you get actual art as opposed to old men posing like young men, which is not good for anybody. No, nah, it's not good for anybody. I love that. That's interesting. I never even thought about that before because you're right. The fan base is getting older just like everybody's getting older. And like they. Yeah, and I think, I think, and that's why I really. You know, I really try not to think what other people are going to think of what I'm doing while I'm doing it. At some point, like I said, usually, at, at, you know, I'm successful with that until right before the record comes out. And then last night, two hours before midnight, I got the butterflies in my stomach. Fuck, this is so much different than my other stuff. People, what if they pan it? What if people hate it? You know, and, and I start spinning out. But that's only right before when I'm actually creating stuff. I never think about that. I try to be as honest as I can in the moment um, 
because any any consideration of how this is going to be received, any consideration of like what this is going to sell or what you need it to do for you, that's a manip- that then it stops becoming art and it stops it starts becoming commerce or something else, you know, fantasy. That's when self centeredness fucks up the, the the truth. Basically, it's another well, that's, place. That's when self seeking when when what you can get from this thing, you know, that's when it fucks it up. When if you're just honest, the the truth is always relevant, man. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how old you are as a rapper. If if you're talking about real life experience, sure, I'm sure that there's going to be some people who don't relate to what I'm talking about on this record and they can listen to something else. But if it's the truth and it's where I'm authentically at, it's going to resonate deeply with uh, some people. You know what I'm saying? It will find its audience. The truth is always relevant. And and it's, um, you know, it's just a matter of cutting to that truth and getting to that truth. That's, that's, that's the key really. No, absolutely. And that's the key with everything. That's the key with growth. You know, that, that's, uh, the good stuff comes from it being true and it being, you know, resonating from the heart. Um, you obviously are a 12 step guy and I'm a 12 step guy, but I'm, I'm coming into contact with a lot of people that are super resistant to 12 step stuff. Um, do you ever, do you ever work with people who don't want, like, and obviously not in terms of sponsorship, but do you ever like encounter people who are super resistant, but find a way to some kind of recovery or sobriety without using the 12 steps? Yeah. I mean, I think, look, I don't think the 12 step process is the only way to get sober. You know what I mean? I think it's a great way that has worked for millions and millions of people. Um, I, I certainly wasn't ready for it for the 18 years that I tried and couldn't, you know what I'm saying? It took me a long time to be ready to do it. I'm lucky I didn't die in the meantime. So I think whatever, you know, specifically, you know, like whatever keeps a needle out of someone's arm and keeps them alive for that day, I'm in support of that. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that's a change for me. I didn't, when I first got sober, I was like a little more judgmental with it because I kind of adopted like the mentality of some of the old timers and stuff. <clears throat> but the more I work in addiction and the more and you know different things work for different people, man. But um, but I am a big believer and and I know the big thing that keeps people away from twelve step recovery is the three letter word that starts with G and ends with D, and uh, you know which to me it's like higher power man all you gotta know that you know and i ask people this do you think that you're the greatest power you're the highest power in the universe nobody thinks they're the highest power in nobody the universe. thinks that so by that deduction there is a power higher than you find it you know what i'm saying you just got to get out of your own way man it, for me it's the universe you know i try to get off the debating team and the you know i, I don't, i'm not really super religious but i do believe in that power of the universe man that creative power it's just and i think that that higher power can be love it can be community it can be friendship it could be art it could be creativity so i am convinced that you do need to find something greater than yourself to plug in whatever your whatever your pathway pathway is and that can be creativity like i said music is a great pathway for my recovery right now so I feel like with things like that, it's a willingness thing. Like it starts with a fear of, of G.O.D. and it turns into not willing to take a suggestion or whatever. But like anything that can make anybody 
happy, joyous, and free and make them less, you know, enslaved to this shit. Like, that's, I'm, I'm with you. I, I feel exactly the same way you do about it. I used to make fun of people who, uh, who were on medical assisted, like on methadone. I was on methadone forever. So I would like make fun of people on methadone as not being clean because I could never be in recovery on methadone. It didn't happen for me. But I, I feel exactly like you do that anything that makes somebody feel on a path to freedom, like more power to them. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know what, though? Like, it, it didn't work for you, but it did work for you because it bu- might have bought you enough time until you got into the solution and got, you know, and found what you were looking for. You know what I'm saying? So I I used to have the same outlook where it's like, ah, oh, this guy's on methadone. He's not sober. And I don't say that anymore because it's not true. It's like if somebody is living a better life and they're not killing themselves every day and that's what it takes at the moment for them to get through, great. You know what I'm saying? Like, keep keep coming, bro. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Keep trying. Like, fuck the judgment shit, man. That's what sends people back out. That's what kills people. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, we, we're, we're, we're these fucking hope-to-die alcoholics and addicts, and now that we have a little bit of sobriety, we are the judge, jury, and executioner on who's sober and who isn't, because it worked for me. If you got to do it the way it worked for me, like, fuck that, man. Like, people just want... We just want to help people, you know, stay alive and get a little better every day and live a better life and be able to rebuild their lives. You know what I'm saying? So fuck all the judgment and the bullshit. I agree. Now, one of your greatest supporters and like conduits to your career is, uh, is actor, producer, and mogul Ben Affleck, who publicly uh, went through some shit and got sober. Did you ever reach out to him and be like, you're doing good, Ben, or anything? Nah, I don't... I haven't really... You know, talk to him. I don't talk about anybody else's recovery or anything like that. But I did see that he was he was talking about sobriety publicly, and you know, I love Ben. So right on. So you never reached, never called him, and been like, "All right, bro, I got your back." Whatever, whatever. Nothing. No outreach. No. no. You're a good Batman. I, I like you, and Batman. Man. Nothing. No, I got anybody's back who's getting sober, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like anybody who reaches out to me, I'm always I'm always available. But what about Ben Affleck as Batman? How do you feel about that? Do you think the voice is too much of a put on or you feel okay with him as Batman? I loved him as Batman. I thought he was a great Batman. He played like an older kind of salt and pepper Batman. I thought he was great. Do you ever I would have liked to see him direct those uh he was supposed to direct a bunch of Batmans, but he didn't end up doing it. I would have loved to see that. He would have killed it. Did you ever read the Batman, The Dark Knight Returns, where Bruce Wayne is actually like 60 and the world is like apocalyptic? Have you ever read those? I have not. And I'll tell you what, I got something else to share with you, which Bill can't believe when I tell him this, but uh, I've never read a comic book. Well, good for you. Don't waste your fucking time with that shit. (laughs) I was a baseball card kid. I wasn't a comic book guy. Well, this, if you ever read a comic book, read The Dark Knight Returns. It's amazing. It'll blow your mind. That's the one to read. And that's what Ben Affleck should make. That would, that would relaunch his whole fucking career, even though his career is fine. I know he's dying to come on Dopey one day, but, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep waiting for Ben. Um, George, uh, I can't tell you like how I love that you come on the show and you kick so much honesty. It's great. Does it feel, do you feel vulnerable or do you feel comfortable or both? I feel comfortable until I listen back, you know, but uh, <laughs> that's what, that's one of the tricks I've learned, like just going to, you know, through the record and then don't look at all the reactions and stuff like that. Like, you know, 
act in the film and, and give it your best and then don't watch the movie. Do the podcast and don't listen back to it. But I did listen to the last one we did and it's funny, man. You're My, a funny dude. Has any reaction come back in yet on the record or no? Trying not to look, brother. <laughs> yeah, no, people have been sending me messages all morning saying how much they love the record and stuff like that. So, Wow. That's, I mean, I think that's got to feel good. You have a crazy fan base. You know, people flipped out when you came on the show and they loved you on the show because you were very open, you know, very honest and like and comfortable. I think, you know, that's what like that's what recovery affords us, like the, the, the ability to, to be that, be who we are, which is the best. You know, mm. um, so I want to ask two more questions. We could, we could, we could wait before the dopey story. You got one though. All right. Yeah. Good. We were talking about, um, we were texting a little bit about, uh, how like you haven't been able to go to meetings in person because of COVID and, and like you're, you're working with sponsees though. How, how has that been? Like, how are you dealing with that? It's good, man. I mean, look, I love meetings and I kind of miss like the community and like being, you know, of being able to go to meetings all the time. Like especially when I lived in LA, dude, like, you know, I've, I've lived by coastally for about 10 years where I had a spot in LA and in Boston. I flew back and forth and LA was a really big part of my sobriety. And there's always a meeting at any hour of the day. And like, I could go to a, a early bird meeting, go to a meeting at one o'clock hang out afterwards, get lunch, go to a nighttime meeting. I love that, and I miss that. But, um, you know, there's several things that I do in my recovery to stay sober. It's not just the meetings, but I do miss them. I miss them because there are some in-person meetings right now, but, you know, it's not it's not the same, obviously. You know, they've been greatly reduced. A lot of stuff moved to Zoom, and, um, you know, I I think people need to do whatever they need to do to stay sober, though, and, and um, I'm hoping things get back to normal. Do you but do any? Do you do Zoom meetings or no? I don't love them, honestly. Um, you know, to me, the meetings are about the connection and like helping a newcomer and all that stuff, and and uh, and I don't get that. And uh, maybe it's just my own defects, you know. But like, I'm in the house, I get the phone on. Next thing I know, like the phone's muted. I'm out smoking on the steps, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm in my sweatpants, I'm lying on the couch, like, I'm not connected to it. So, um, but yeah, man, I try to stay in the solution. And, and I mean, I'm helping people get into detox and treatment all the time. And I, you know, I, I, run, uh, I run a couple step groups a week and I work with sponsees and I do my own inventory. Like I said, uh, I run that by my sponsor. I, I, uh, I use music as part of one of my pathways of recovery too, you know? That's awesome. I mean, I think just meeting your sponsees in person is like, you know, I mean, they say a meeting is just two, you know, two, two alcohol, two or more alcoholics anyway. So you're kind of doing in-person meetings, even if you're doing it like that, you know, it's just a different kind of thing. Right. Absolutely. The Dopey Nation is doing fucking Zooms every day. They do two Zooms a day. Dopey Nation, they get together, and it's not like traditional twelve step. They're doing a lot of different stuff. They do a step meeting on uh on Sundays. We should. I don't know. Maybe we could plug you into something. That would blow blow their minds out of their heads. Their brains would squish out of their ears. But you never. Yeah. Know. Maybe maybe I'll jump on one of those. Right on. Um. 
Last time you were on the show, you told a couple of dopey stories. You told a story about being all fucked up on set, which was a classic. You told a story about almost killing a dude on 13th Street, which I enjoyed. My favorite one was the story of shitting between cars, though. Can you, did you, was, there, <laughs> was there a dopey story that you didn't tell that you thought maybe you should have and you'd want to tell now? Oh, do I need another dopey story this episode? There's no need, but it always it always <laughs> gre- greases the wheels of the show if if we have one, you know. This is a dopey story. I mean, you know, back in the day, I lived in New York, and uh, you know, I was living in an apartment in Queens, and uh, I can tell the story, I guess, because it's a very long time ago, twenty five <laughs> years, twenty four years ago, whatever, and. I loved ecstasy, man, and ecstasy was really popping at that time. You know, we used to go to the, go to the tunnel or whatever, and like, you know, at that hip hop night downstairs at the tunnel, or whatever, and and I loved ecstasy, and I and I didn't realize like, you know, people were buying ecstasy in Boston for like twenty five dollars a pill, right? And I guess when people, even in New York, like single pills, but I realized I could get them much cheaper. Uh, in bulk and uh you know i started i started selling uh and and and, you know for a thousand pack in boston the price was a lot higher than than what i could get them in new york for so you know i was uh i was facilitating some of those back and forth and i was you know selling a couple thousand a week back and forth um to boston particularly through one guy and uh you know, I would scrape a hundred off the top for myself every week and have enough to, I wouldn't do a hundred a week, but you know, I'd give them out to people I was with partying with or whatever. And I'd, I'd probably do like 10 in a night, you know, anyways. Uh, so the kid I was, I was hustling back and forth with was, uh, he got pinched and he, he got apparently gave up names. So I got a call from a friend and uh, he told me, look out, because so-and-so gave up a bunch of names, like 21 names or something, and everybody got arrested here. And, you know, he he and I had, had had kind of a falling out a couple months before, but it was still like, you know, it was like a year that went on. So I was like, oh, fuck. You know, I was paranoid. I'm sure. thinking I'm going to get locked up. And, uh, you know, I'm all banged up one morning and you know the door on my apartment was broken because we kicked it in one night when we got locked out or whatever and i hear this banging on the door and the, and the cops just opened the door because it was open the the uh the latch was broken on it and i was like oh fuck here they come and the, you know they're, they're like george carroll come with us i was like for what they're like you know what for and i was like oh fuck right so they throw me in the back of a fucking uh in the back of the van we drive around like Queensbridge projects all over the place and they're throwing people in the back and I'm sitting back there and I'm like, fuck, you know, this is like the warrant uh, squad or whatever. And I was like, man, I'm fucked. I, you know, I'm spinning in my head. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. Like I should, you know, I'm never doing this again. Like what I, you know, just spiraling out. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, Anyways, this guy in the back, he's like, ah, I'm going to get locked. I forget what he was getting locked up for, but he was like, uh, it sucks. I'm going to miss the Subway series. He's like, I work I work at uh, at Shea Stadium and Yankee Stadium. I was like, oh, no shit. He's, he's like, yeah, Aramark. You know, I was like, I did that in Boston at Fenway. He's like, yeah. He's like, they're hiring, actually. If you come by, you know, if we don't get locked up, then, 
come by and I'll put your name in. <laughs> and I was like, all right, all right, dude, but you know, whatever. So anyways, we get all, we go downtown in Manhattan, go into the court and they bring me up to the front and they call my name, $10 Heineken ticket, open container, St. Patrick's day. It was a fucking drinking ticket that I fucking forgot to pay. I'm thinking I'm getting locked up for distribution fucking class A well, what is what is MDMA anyways? Class A, Class B? I think it's Class A. I think it definitely. Yeah. I think it's. I'm class thinking a. I'm going away for distribution over the course of the year, and they got all the information, you know, all that shit. I end up having to pay a ten dollar fucking open container ticket. So I go over to Shea Stadium. I get a job at Shea Stadium. The guys, the guy said, you know, it was three days later or whatever. He was there. He put my name into the thing. I got the job at Shea Stadium. And the first night I'm working the game, I fucking sell a hot dog to the to the cop who came into my apartment and put me in the back of the fucking thing. That's awesome. Did he recognize you? It was a her. Did she? Yeah. Rec- oh, she that, that's amazing. And she looked terrified when she saw me. She looked the <laughs> other way. <laughs> I was like, hey, how you doing? Did people ever give you shit in Shay for having a Boston accent uh, selling hot dogs at, at uh, Mac games? Absolutely. I didn't last long either, man. I didn't really like that. Job. I liked doing it as a teenager at Fenway because I was a Red Sox fan. Yeah. But, you know, I think I lasted like a month doing that at Chase Stadium because I was like, this sucks. I don't even like the Mets. You know, it was like. That's awesome. That's a perfect dopey story. That's perfect. Um, George, thank you so much for coming through. The record is things, the things we can't forgive. And the artist is slain. And uh, another beautiful, dopey appearance, man. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Wow, that was amazing, right? Wait, we're, we're back so fast. Yes. Um, <laughs> I, I really like this guy. And I think he really likes the show. Like, me and him yeah. have a nice little thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he seemed like a little bit more, like, grooving with it this time than last time. Well, I think he recognizes that uh, the audience is just a bunch of people like him, you know? Yeah. And I loved his dopey story. I love any story about a Bostonian working at Shea Stadium. That was great. And the the open container ticket, like, can you imagine you're in jail? You're like, oh, shit, I'm facing like 25 years. What was it? $10, right? I can imagine. I can imagine that because it's like it's just bugging out about the big thing. And I, and I also love he had such amazing program stuff to drop on the world. So that was great. Yeah, that, that was our program segment of the show for this week. <laughs> he reminded me of this guy I worked with who was like a mess, but he's a very hard worker. And he didn't show up to work one day because he had gone to the projects to buy crack and he had uh, a 40 with him. And he got arrested for open container and thrown in jail. And then he came to work on Tuesday and we're like, what did you learn from this? And he's like, when you go to the projects to buy crack, always pour your beer into a Starbucks cup. And we're like, no, that's not the less. I think that's, 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 what you call it. that's harm reduction. Yeah. And then he fell off a ladder at work and because they have a no drug policy or he had, he had to go get tested. And we're like, don't go because we knew he would show up positive. And he's like, but they told me to. And we're like, just don't. And he did. And uh, he lost a job. Well, that's what happened. And then, the, and then they look at the rest of us like, oh, he's that one's on coke. The other two must also be on coke. And we're like, no. Did they test you? Uh, no, but at one time they said, 
they said they're going to test all the painters. And we were like, if you want, because, and then we asked like one of the painters, like, when did you smoke weed last? He's like, or do you smoke weed? He's like, no, not really. We're like, when did you smoke last? He's like, this morning. <laughs> so we said to the people, if you want to come down and paint these walls yourself, then sure, test us all. And then they didn't test us. There you go. That's also harm. That sounds like harm reduction also. So I, yeah. I would have tested positive at that time. This was a long time ago. For what? Who knows? Well, um, you want to do email or you want to do voicemail? Uh, what's easier? Voicemail is easier. Well, we kind of do them both. You're so lazy, Ray. You want me to read it? As long as you don't want me to read it, something. It's both easy for you. You either have to listen to me or you, why don't you read it, Ray? It's tiny, tiny letters. I know. That could be fun. Oh, for my me. God. It's so long. No, you read it. All right. I can't do this. I have two voicemails. I mean, I've got two emails. I'm going to read the weird one first. And he just writes this. He writes, this is for Dopey Dave, which is me. I think I'm going to start embracing Dopey Dave. What do you think yeah. about that? Might as well. Ugh, I don't want to. I was hoping you were going to tell worse me. Name. There's worse names. All right. There. All right, you ready? This could is, be Shitty Dave. Right. This is for Shitty Dave. Uh, <laughs> this is going to sound kind of awkward and forward, but I really think you should consider having me as a co-host or at the very least a one-time host or really whatever. I am 52 years old and have been a prostitute since I was 22. I still turn a few tricks, but my SLA sponsor is convincing me it's time to hang it up. Been sober for several years in AA. You know I have the best dopey stories, number one. 30 years of hustling doing S&M, scat. What's scat? Shit. What is it? when you shit shit on people or you make them eat shit. That's what scat is? Yeah. It's not like scoobadoobadoobat. No, it's it's the worst. Uh, Like a lot of personal ads go, no scat, no blood. (laughs) Wow. All right. So he's a scatter. Um, oh, he likes golden showering Where 976P is extra E for extra P He fucking did it all Been kidnapped and slept in closets In colleges as well I am also heavily into yoga And am a Buddhist As well as a hardcore gym rat Dancer in golf clubs And play in metal bands As a drummer and guitar player I am also a writer writing a book About the worst dopey hustling days when I first heard Chris laugh, I recognized it immediately as the same weird way I have heard my own laughter on recordings. It was really fucking weird, the similarities we have, but of course we are very different. I grew up piss poor and was homeless for seven years. I am also very funny and definitely the stand-up comedian of my home AA group. And I am, total, I am a total hoarder, but getting better at it, not as bad as the TV show, but I used to be that bad. I had to only do out-call tricks, and even homeless people wouldn't party with me in my back room in the day. It was so bad. Or in my room back in the day, it was so bad. Did I mention I am a really good writer and musician, especially a writer? Mark my words, my book is going to be a bestseller, or at least I'm going to keep shoveling books out until one is a bestseller. I am a very driven person. Thank you, and stay strong, Dave. P.S. Get Fat Mike and Smelly from No Effects on the show. What do you think about that guy? I'm intrigued. He, he sounds like he, he checks off a lot of boxes for you. He's He's got a lot of confidence. Yes, sir. Uh, I'd like I, to see a photo. Yes, uh, please, please send a photo <laughs> to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. 
So yes, man, send in a voicemail. We're dying to hear uh, more from you. And send a picture so Ray can really check you out at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Right, Ray, don't you want to see a picture of this dude? Yeah, yeah, let's see it. Let's see it. Um, yeah, and send voicemails. Don't send emails so I don't have to read them. <laughs> well, send both. We like both. And um, Ray, we were talking a little bit before about the uh, Framing Britney Spears movie. Oh, man, that was so good. And people are, people are so mad. What They're I'm... so mad at Justin Timberlake and Diane Sawyer. Like, everybody's getting flack from that. Well, the interviewers, like, literally, like, are interviewing this teenager to make her cry. They made her cry, yeah. Like, uh, tell us about the breakup with your boyfriend that the whole world laughed at you. You remember when I interviewed you and made you cry? That was amazing. You made me cry twice. <laughs> um, the thing I want to know about, and they've done a really good job keeping it quiet, it's like, what drugs were, were Brittany, was Brittany on? Did she actually go to drug rehab, or was it behavior modification stuff? I think she was on, well, she was hanging out with Paris Hilton, and Paris Hilton was doing coke. And I remember Britney Spears saying she liked purple drink. So that's like... Uh, Scissor. Lean. Lean. Scissor. Scissor. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I. And that was the time of that. See, my drug addiction never took me to the beauty of the lean. I think I really could have gone for that. Codeine with a little Kool Aid or whatever. When I've mixed codeine and alcohol, it's like the best. I love that. Yeah. I never got to enjoy it. I w but you know what? It also made me think like. What? The New York Times is like not what it used to be. Like they're making like a true Hollywood story on Britney Spears as like their big media leap. Yeah, I was surprised that was them, but but it was um, also they were just like calling her a slut, and like I didn't remember that from the time. But when they when they played it in that sequence of like, oh, Justin Timberlake is just a guy, and she's a slut because she slept with a boy. Wow, and she was like eighteen years old. I say dopey. Well, me, would you say dopey is joining the free Britney movement? I, I've joined it. How? And she she got her father off that thing yesterday. She did. Like, yeah, yeah. She won that case. You know, she's probably like, I definitely need somebody to you know handle my money, like everybody does. But I just don't want it to be my dad. And why should it be my dad? But she, can you imagine, like, if you're 18 years old? She was actually, I think, 17. And just to get all the everything that she got, and, you know, a lot of people go, there's no overnight successes, but she kind of was an overnight success. Like it happened really fast. And then to have all those emotions and then have some tabloid stuff and people following you around, you'd lose your mind too. Definitely. And maybe take some cocaine and other stuff. A little lean to make you feel better. Sure. <laughs> you know what I would hate if somebody put my dad in charge of my finances Free, oh. <laughs> free Dave. <laughs> we, don't, oh, we, man. Don't, we don't want that. Um, uh, Dave, this is Alan. I'm looking at the books right now. and uh, I can't I, I believe. you spent a lot of cookies. I, I can't believe you spent $40 on dinner. How could you? Don't, my, my dad, yeah, my dad's like, I'll spend 25 cents on cookies. I will not spend more than $2 on a box of cookies. Um, right. Amazing. So, yes, we support you, Brittany. And I know that that Brittany loves Dopey. So whenever you want to call in for the show, you know our our lines are open. The dope the Dopey phone is ready to ring. If you want to write us an email, just write us one at dopeypodcast at gmail dot com. 
Maybe Brittany wants to enter the brainwashed coffee contest with what's that? The brainwashed coffee contest is if you send Dopey Nation, just send in a fucking story, a three minute voicemail to win not half a pound of coffee, but a pound of brainwashed coffee. Best Dopey story wins. No, I, I never hear about these things until we're like live on the air. You know who's the judge of the contest? You? No, you, Ray. Me? Yes, I just made you Wait. the judge. Congratulations. <laughs> okay. You okay. will determine who gets the brainwashed coffee. Also, what a name, brainwashed. Is that a new sponsor? It's They've been around for a bit. They give 50% of all their profits to addicts in recovery. Wait, how do they make money then? That's none of our business, Ray. That's not that's not what matters to us. That's a lot. That's a lot to donate. Let's not think about that. Let's do. That's um, like when when dollar slices were invented. So every slice went from three dollars to one dollar. You're like, wait a minute. That means they were making two dollars plus on every slice before. I think the dollar sw- slice is a dip in quality. I think if you get a dollar oh, slice, you're getting a weaker slice of pizza. I don't eat dollar slices. I'll pay the extra two dollars. Just for the the peace of mind, right? The peace of mind. It's so much better. Right, exactly. Um, Now, would you like to do the voicemail, or would let's do the voicemail? I don't know why. I don't know why I bother asking you anything. Hold on. Yeah, why do you ask me? I don't know. Hi, Dave. This is Tracy. Um, Born and raised on the island of Oahu, in Hawaii, our fiftieth state. Wanted to share a experience with the dopey audience okay so i'm in my teens probably 14 15 years old i don't know if this is the first time i've taken acid but early on in my lsd career (laughs) one of the things we used to do as kids is we used to like go the girls would go down like to waikiki and kind of cruise up the strip up kalakaua kuhio and Boys who had like really nice cars would kind of cruise, and if you knew them or that you're interested, you'd jump in their car, and that's you know how you might meet your next boyfriend kind of a deal. So, I dropped a tab with my girlfriend Vanessa, and we're like in front of this gay bar called Hula's, just happened to be there, and I don't know how it happened, but. It was a friend of hers or just some random dude. We jumped into his split baby window VW bug. And it was really nice, souped up bug, really cherry. And she, I jumped in the back, she jumped in the front. And all I remember is the acid came on, the music was very loud. <laughs> and I don't remember much after that. It's somewhat of a blur. The next thing I remember is waking up in a, like, on the 30th floor of a condo in Waikiki facing the ocean. And there's a, other people in there, too. And I think I think most people were sleeping. I'm not sure. The sun was up, just coming up. And I just, like, came to and I had to use the bathroom really bad. I had to take a dump. I don't know where I am. So I remember thinking, oh my God, I, I tried to find a bathroom. I opened the door, it wasn't a bathroom and it wasn't waiting any longer. So I ran out to the balcony, the lanai, and I took a dump on the balcony of this apartment. And it was so embarrassing. Oh my God, it just, 
I couldn't hold it. It came right out. And then I was like, my next thought was, I have got to get out of here. I don't know where I am. And I just took a shit on somebody's balcony. So I go in the, you know, back in the living area. And I find my girlfriend. I wake her up. I'm like, we got to go. We got to go. So (laughs) she comes with me. We're just like, we don't remember anything that happened for the several hours prior. I didn't mention what I just did. We just leave. We walk outside. We cross the street. Next thing you know, we're in the like parking garage of the Ala Moana Shopping Center in Honolulu, which is a big shopping center. And, and it's, but it's like early, early morning. Like nobody's there. It's all empty. Sun's just coming up. And we're walking a little bit toward the mall. And all of a sudden we see this guy. And he start, he's in a car. He's by himself. And he's got music blasting. And he's, he sees us. And we, we, I don't know if we... He stops. And he goes, you guys want to party? We're like, yeah, we want to party. So he's like, jump in, jump in. I'm going to get some money. We're going to go party. So we jump in, both of us, in the front seat of this guy's car. It was like an older car that had a bench front seat so we get in he goes up just a little bit this guy is wasted too by the way he hasn't been to sleep yet and he stops at this atm he barely makes it to the atm he comes back with a handful of cash and we're like okay he's gonna go get something i don't know what takes off in the car he's driving and we didn't get but i don't know five feet ten feet the guy ran straight into this big cement pillar that's holding up the parking garage like a giant cement pillar he just hits it i don't know how fast he was going but we i all three of us hit our heads on the windshield (laughs) i know you're stunned for a little bit but he was really stunned he got hit hard plus he was so wasted so my girlfriend and i grabbed the money that because he had it just laid up there we just grabbed it and took off. He was not coherent. And we ran, ran, ran away down the street, found a cab, flagged the cab, went to back to Waikiki, got a hotel room, called our friends who had who sold like buds and stuff, weed and whatever, called other friends, come party at this hotel room, spent all the money. Well, I don't remember how much it was enough for a hotel room and and the party for the day oh yeah we bought brand new bathing suits bikinis <laughs> and then we went home that night and got up for school on monday morning that was just one of the wild weekends i had as a teenager in hawaii love you dave um toodles to chris bye so thank you tracy so much for sending in your shitty LSD and cruising for boys in Hawaii story. That was wild. I have, I have a bunch of questions. Like, how do you, you, you blacked out, you're tripping so hard that you blacked out and you don't know how you got into that hotel room or that apartment. Well, it's, that's a lot of acid. Right. Well, I think that, uh, she might have been drunk at the same time. I've never heard oh. of LSD blackouts. But the thing that gets me most about the story is that Tracy's in Hawaii and listening to Dopey. That just yeah. blows my mind. You know what I mean? And we're and I don't know if we we're going to Hawaii on the Dopey World Tour, but I'm going to Hawaii 
from a listener that's setting me up with like a band and like club dates and if so I could, exciting. If I could only live the fantasy that is your life, Ray Brown. <laughs> this dude grows his own kratom. No, he does not. He does too. He showed me the kratom tree. That is ridiculous. Tracy, thank you for sending in the voicemail. Mr. Kratom Tree, send in a fucking uh, picture of your kratom crop. We'd love to see it. Uh, <laughs> send in a very short voicemail confirming the Ray Brown leg of his own world tour in Hawaii. And maybe you can see Tracy too. I love that they just grabbed the money and ran. <laughs> Amazing. You know what I love about Hawaii? Everything I know about Hawaii, I know from uh, Moana, fucking Lilo and Stitch, and the Descendants, and the time the Brady Bunch goes to Hawaii. That's all I know about Hawaii. <laughs> I don't think that's accurate. But I love everything I know about Hawaii. I love, you know, I love everything I know about it. It seems like the place to go, and I think Willie Nelson's there. Yeah, a lot of the like uh, Matthew McConaughey. He's got a place next to um, Woody Harrelson. Uh, Woody Harrelson, yeah, and Supermensch, Shep Gordon. Yeah, Supermensch. That, that was awesome. Yeah, well, I, I saw the show. Yeah, I want I wanted Supermensch to handle Dopey, but I think he's not as super a mensch as he once was. Well, I think he's retired. I don't know. I think he's like cooking up fucking uh, whatever yellowtails tuna for his his rich friends in hawaii that is like some block that's some billionaire's block well you know who we haven't had on the show in a long time and he's dying to who? come back on is my who? dad so we're gonna call up my dad through the power of technology you ready yeah here we go summoning summoning alan my dad who's in uh in uh florida Hello. Hey, Dad. Hello. Dad. Can hey, you... Alan. Hey. Hi. Hi, Ray. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hi. So, my Are dad. Are you in Florida? I am in Florida, yes. Nice. So, Dad, how, how goes the, the great Jewish migration to the sixth borough of Florida? Well, it, it turns out, and I hope I'm going to be right, it turns out that tomorrow I may get the vaccine shot. Uh, oh, nice. It, I'm going to actually, I have to drive to Orlando, which is a three-hour ride to get it, but I'm certainly willing to do that. So, yeah, I hope that works. And then I'm going to get the second shot here also. So, uh, one month later. So, it, it seems to be working. And I'm doing my class from down here, and that seems to be working too. But I think the students are a little jealous. Are, are, are you in Captiva? It's very close. It's like the next island. Oh, you're, in, you're on Sanibel. No, it's called Pine Island. Oh, oh man, that's fancy. That's no, nice. the, oh, dopey, the Dopey Nation is curious uh, how you can be on such an opulent vacation. They're, they're, they're postulating you spending all of your money at the dog track throwing hundreds of dollars away on the <laughs> on the dogs. Is it true, Dad? You, now, listen, you have been given the wrong impression to the Dopey Nation forever about me, about me, about my yachts and about my my uh, my docks that allow kayaks to come on easily. I mean, it's all nonsense. I got a rowboat and a kayak. That's what I have. Isn't and it, I don't bet money on dog tracks. That, no. Isn't it true you flew private to Florida to get down there? 
I drove. I drove for <laughs> umpteen hours to avoid going on the airplane. No, I did not fly. Did private. you did you stop halfway or did you drive through? No, no, no. I stopped. I stopped halfway. I stopped in Florence, South Carolina. That's 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 that's, that's exactly the place that we used to stop when uh, when uh, Nancy and I took David and uh, down there as well. That's that's halfway. That's halfway to Florida. Yeah, there was much. a there was a classic story of our family driving to Florida, and my the do you know the place south of the border? Oh, yeah, yeah. And my sister was dying to go to south of the border, and my dad doesn't have time to do stuff like that. And she's screaming, <laughs> and he's screaming, and we wound up going to stupid south of the border. Right. It's, there's a lot of advertising for south of the border, but there's really nothing there. It's just a lot of promotion. Well, let me tell you, uh, Nancy and I were driving home, just both of us, in a horrible, horrible storm. And we actually stopped there and stayed there overnight in one of their little motel rooms. Yeah. But, Did you buy uh, some it, fireworks? No, 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 of course not. No, but it's still there. It's still there. Dad, what do you exist. think about what do you think about investing in a dopey billboard in between some of the south of the border billboards? Well, I was going to ask you that about the proper use of money to help dopey. Do you think that's a proper use of, of money to help dopey? Hold on, hold on. Are you going to start throwing your incredible opulence towards the dopey nation towards the dopey podcast's way? Absolutely. I ordered coffee and the guy was really sweet. You know, that brainwashed coffee. Is he still is he still an advertiser? He told me he was a teacher. Who did? The guy from is... Brainwash Coffee. And he said that you can call him again and he'll honor the discount again. I know, but I was asking him for the whole dopey nation, but he I guess he didn't answer that. No, no, he? no. The answer is that the whole dopey nation will get the discount over and over again. Now I don't want to waste okay. your, your time. I know you have a a massage coming up and maybe a full pedicure and with the goldfish eating the dead skin off your feet and all that. What I want to know about, Dad, is uh, you haven't been on the show in a while yes. and you have a very critical mind, so I wanted to hear uh, where the criticisms are coming of late. Well, I'm I'm watching the important trial right now, also. But I, I'm I'm glad that I'm speaking with you as well. So uh, this this trial is 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 important. I, I don't know what the outcome is going to be. But criticism. Well, we certainly haven't been getting any new reviews. Uh, um, so you're going to criticize? Hold the, on. You're going to criticize me because there's no new reviews on the show. No, well, you're not. No, I, of course not. I'm not criticizing you. I'm just saying, I, well, uh, I'll make it a question. How come, why, why aren't there more reviews coming in? Because nobody, it's because I haven't been asking, but my dad loves, right, okay. my dad loves to read reviews. So please, yeah. Dopey Nation, you go to iTunes and you write reviews saying how great the show is. It'll make my dad happy. Okay. Next. Absolutely. What? Why the, don't you read that? Why don't you read well, the review that I love when you read it about white privilege and stuff? Let's no start that again. I really no no. <laughs> First of all, thank goodness I can't read it because I don't have the, my computer ready to read it. The other thing, I do have another question on the Podbean thing. They don't give you. They don't uh, list how many people have downloaded anymore. What's going on with that? Do you I, notice that? I that took it off. 
Why? Because why does anyone need to? It's like seeing how much money you have. It's like counting all of your money in public. I figured it's nobody else posts their downloads. Why? Why are we posting our downloads? It was a mistake. Well, you know, that's not true. How do you know that no one else posts their downloads? How, that's how do you make that statement? You, you know that's true. You are a very sweet and simple man, Dad. Look at any other <laughs> podcast. You're not going to see their. Downloads. I don't. First of all, I don't look at any other podcast at all. <laughs> Dopey is the only one I listen to. Uh, I don't listen to anything else. It is, uh, I don't want to say there's more important things to do, but no, I, I only listen to Dopey because because uh, I think it's very very important. There, there there were a few very nice you know things stated uh, that uh, again that was really important about how how people um, have gotten to know it and and got help from it. So that's great. That's great. I don't have any more criticism. I mean, I say positive things sometimes, too, you know. There's a festival coming up in Park City, Utah, and they want Dopey to be a part of it. They want to fly the family out, even Ray. Give him his own bathtub where he can wash his clothes. It's going to be a big wait, deal, wait, Dad. Wait a Explain. Park City, Utah, because uh, there is Shush, uh, actually— I know. I know. You don't yeah. need to talk about that. He no, has, I'm not talking about that. I, what I'm saying is, is, is that uh, what do you mean? Is that, well, what is this? What's the, what's what's happening? It's top secret. I just want you to know that big things are afoot. Can can we fly on Alan's jet to Park City? Yeah, Dad. Maybe can you could just fly us all in. Why don't you just take your arms and flap them? Maybe that'll work. I mean, that's that. <laughs> no, I don't have a private jet to fly. Listen, no. my dad. My dad is is a a, a middle class man. He's been an educator for the past. Almost 50 years. 50 years? Time out. This is the 56th year that I'm teaching. 56th year of educating. He didn't get rich, but he didn't. My, I'm going to be totally clear now. Uh, if, if there was an award for good decisions to get handed out, my dad would get the good decision-making award. He makes good decisions. Uh, he's a little too critical about the show. He doesn't have that much money. He drove to Florida. His lake house isn't that opulent. He doesn't have a residence in Park City, Utah. He doesn't have a private jet. Um, I just want to make sure because he's going to yell at me when I get off the show if I don't say all those things. Correct? Okay. All right. Peace, peace. Yes, very nice. Good job. How yes. about the Knicks, though, Dad? Oh, they're playing terrible. And this, I'm going to drop quickly. You're I'm crazy, tired. Dad. If you drop quickly, quickly is going to yeah. do great. So drop all right, it. Dad, I'm not... I'm not going to drop him, but I did. I did drop uh, Rose. Why? Uh, You're making a big mistake. No, no. I have too many point guards and shooting guards on the team. I needed a small forward, so I I picked up Batoon uh, just for the just to pick up because uh, I I was you know you know you you can't play too many people in the same position. So I was going way over on on guard. So I needed to play small forward forwards but you can't anyway the nation doesn't understand this stuff, the so. knicks the knicks look yeah. pretty, i mean how could you say they look terrible they look so much better than they've looked in years oh well all right they look better than they looked in years but their the, their record is falling falling rapidly uh anyway they still could make the playoffs though absolutely they still could make the playoffs so uh we'll see what happens uh and i didn't drop quickly but uh he's not gonna have as much time on the court anymore so he's gonna have the same time you'll see he's gonna have the same well, time. they're gonna play him and rose all the time together you'll see all right so this park city is top secret huh? okay top secret what, right. dad do you have anything you want to add before you get off the phone because you've been on way too long what else you got to say 
yeah, well, the, what I want to say is is that I hope everybody is good and well and everybody stays safe. Uh, it's not over with this pandemic yet, but stay safe and stay strong, uh, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. Well, thank you, Dad, and we will talk to you soon, and I love you. I love you too, Dave. All righty, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Ray. Bye-bye. Bye, Alan. He really has a lot of money, though, Ray. I didn't want him to feel bad. But he's he's loaded. Well, wait, wait, wait. What are you talking about? Oh, no. He was supposed to hang up. Wait. Time out. What is he, is, did he say that on national television? What are you doing? Just hang up the phone. You've already outworn your welcome. Go. Goodbye. Hello? He's gone. Be careful. That's Be careful my, what you say now. That's Mr. Mr. Moneybags over there. He's okay. He's not rich. He's okay. Anyway. Ray, this has been a joy as always. Is there anything you want to add before you get off the phone? This has been an easy one. This was really easy. Not Some of them are torturous. This has been an easy one. What's been torturous? How dare you? Where, where have we go? It goes on and on. We redo it. and it, The machine breaks. and Those are the good ones, and, Ray. And then the baby's crying, and then we do it like at midnight. Those are the good ones, my friend. Those are the oh, good yeah. ones. So why don't well, you take us are. out before we go? Okay. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. And, uh, yes, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. What's up, Dave and Chris? My name's Jake. I'm 25 years old from West Virginia. I just found Dopey about two weeks ago, and it's my favorite podcast of all time. Y'all are hilarious and it's just gotten me through some really hard times, and though I'm not clean myself, you know, it gives me a lot of hope for the future. Um, I really like Dave's song, and I'm going to do a little cover of it here on my banjo. Hope y'all don't mind too much. I wrote a uh, third verse myself. Sorry about the poor quality. It's just on my phone. And, uh, sorry about the banjos. Things hard to keep in tune. <clears throat> Better when you're high, and I wanna be 
so bad y'all hear this makes it through the uh, big inbox emails feel free to play a clip on the show if you want I, if not I know it kind of sucks alright I uh, really appreciate it thanks y'all